0: Welcome to Life Church. We are an X242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. It says, Samson went down to Timnah, and there saw a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother. I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah, now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable young woman among your relatives or among all of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, she's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, He was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands, as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. Convenient. I added the word convenience, not in the Bible. Uh, Sometime later... When he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from a lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. He replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Three days they could not give the answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to steal our property? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, You hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, and you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She in turn explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. And Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. What drama. Absolute drama. And uh, chapter 15, which we'll do next week, gets even worse. So much drama around this man's life, this, this judge of Israel, it seems that drama seems to follow him. Uh, so we will have a look at some of the things that popped out to me as we were looking through this chapter, and hopefully we'll be challenged. The first thing is <clears throat> Samson went out to Timnah and he saw this, this young woman. He says to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah, now get her for me. In fact, he goes on to say, she is the right one for me. Some versions say, she is righteous in my eyes, is what he says. And his parents are, understandably, a little bit upset that Samson is is wanting them to arrange a marriage, because this is the way that it worked, is wanting his parents to go and to arrange a marriage for him with a Philistine woman. Because the the covenant to the Israelites that God spoke to them about very clearly said, do not intermarry. And so that's why they said to him, seriously, aren't aren't they any, any pretty girls among our own people? Why do you have to choose this woman? She is good in my eyes, he says. And so I wanted to ask us all this question, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? It's worth noting that in 1 John, one of the three definitions of sin is the lust of the eyes. So what do you allow your eyes to see? Now, Samson allowed his eyes to see this young woman, and he appreciated that she was a pretty young woman. But then he could have moved on. But actually, it moved from, I have seen a Philistine woman, to, she's the right one for me. This is before he spoke to her, by the way. Yeah, Because remember, later on, they come and have a conversation. It says, he has a conversation with her, and he liked her. I mean, seriously, Samson. So, what are you allowing your eyes to look at? 1 John 2, verse 16 says, For the world offers only lust for physical pleasure, the lust for everything we see, and pride in our possessions. They are not from the Father, they are from this evil world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So one, one of the, the kind of definitions of, th- of things that pull us away from our walk with God and from our relationship with God is the things that we allow ourselves to see. The, the things that we get pulled in when we take our eyes off God. With the discovery of gold in 1848, the California Gold Rush officially began and people poured into California from all over the world. About 300,000 people found their way to California to try and find their fortune. Because people were finding gold. Most people did not become rich with finding gold. But some people made a lot of money. The people who made a lot of money were the people who set up businesses to serve the people who were, ser- who were trying to find gold. So there were some people who were selling glasses of water for hundred dollars each. This is in 1848, hundred dollars each. Yeah. Imagine, how- imagine gasping, being thirsty, and someone saying you can have this, but it's a hundred quid. Unbelievable. There was a guy who was selling a cream in a bottle, and uh, it was in the newspaper. And you could buy a bottle of this cream for $2.50. $2. And they said that all you, had do, all you had to do, this is a genuine advert in the newspaper from the time, all you had to do was rub yourself with this cream and then roll down the mountain. And by the time you got to the mountain, gold would have stuck to you. And you will have collected enough gold to live happily ever after. Yeah. So you could buy, there's two two separate creams. You could buy the the gold cream for $5 or the silver cream for $2.50. Yeah. There were other people who turned up and they would spend maybe 10 hours a day trying to find gold, panning for gold, getting really excited about what they found, and then going to the people to have them weigh it and measure it and then discovering that it wasn't actually gold. It was something called iron pyrite, which I have a picture for you on the screen. It looks like gold, but it actually is not gold. Can you imagine the disappointment in getting a big bag full of these chunks of iron pyrite, thinking this is gold. I, I've made it. This, I don't have to work another day in my life. And then arriving at the guy who weighs the gold and pays you for it, only for him to tell you it's iron pyrite and it actually is not really worth much at all. It's very sad. <coughs> these, these people here, they discovered the saying that all the glitters is not gold. and Just because it looks good does not mean it's going to be good. So what are you looking at? Are you motivated by what your eyes see? Or are you motivated by what God's eyes see? There are many times where it would say in Scripture that Jesus stood and was moved with compassion. In fact, there's, a, there's, a, there's two occasions where Jesus cries. He cries at the, at the funeral of Lazarus when he sees everyone weeping. The Bible says Jesus wept. I know that because when I grew up in Sunday school, when they took the register, Um, You didn't say here, you had to say a Bible verse that you learned that week. So I got really good at finding the shortest Bible verses in the Bible. Jesus wept was was a popular one. Jesus cries at Lazarus' funeral. He's moved with compassion by what he sees around him. And There's another occasion where he arrives in Jerusalem and he looks over the city and he weeps for the people in the city. He sees stuff and he's moved by compassion. He doesn't see stuff and think, I want this. That's what happens to us. We see stuff and think, I want this, or I want to be like that, or I must have that. We have to be careful with what we're looking at. I was thinking about tonight, and I was thinking, I'm spending a lot of time talking about looking at stuff. Maybe I'm a a bit off track here. And then this is one of the verses in my devotion today, Proverbs 27, verse 20. Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are human. death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are human eyes we could talk about the obvious things like pornography but what i do want to point out is scrolling through amazon on black friday is just as much a question to ask yourself what are you looking at what are you looking at i don't want to i don't want to give you guilt for buying stuff for your house let's let's be serious let's let's get the point here the point is if we spend time looking at things that pull us away from what God wants for us, then we are opening ourselves up to an opportunity where our attention is taken away. And then we can redefine those things. See, Samson didn't just say, I, I've seen her and I like her. He said, she is righteous in my eyes. So he's, he's implying much more about, but with that statement than, than what he's just saying with, with, I have seen someone who is beautiful saying she's righteous in my eyes. What are you looking at? Now this whole verses 1 to 4 really kind of grabs me. And I hope we get to move on from verses 1 to 4 tonight. But it grabs me because there's this, it seems like Samson is being a bit petulant. He's saying, you know, I I want my own way basically. I've I've seen this woman and I want her. And even though I'm an Israelite and she's a Philistine, I've seen what I've seen, and I want what I want. And we have to be people who understand that just because we see something and we think it's good, it doesn't necessarily mean it's good for us. There's this little phrase in verse 4, says, His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. So what does that mean? Does that mean that God made Samson like this Philistine woman so that then he could use Samson against the Philistines. I don't believe that for a second because that would suggest that God manipulates the way that we think and it goes against the fact that God has given us free will. This is what I think. I think that God wanted Samson to engage with the Philistines in some way because remember in verse 13, we discovered that the angel said to his mum and his dad that he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the Philistines. So he's been set up for a ministry. But it doesn't seem like he's done anything. And so even though Samson steps out of, steps out of kind of the line of Israelite community at the time and decides he's going to uh, marry a Philistine woman, there's this sense that God can use anything that he chooses. And God decides in this moment that he's going to choose Samson's disobedience as an opportunity to start something. This, however, is not an excuse for us to do what we like because God can use anything. He can, but it's not an excuse to just do what you want because God can use anything that we do. That's not the way it goes. The question we should be asking ourselves is are we giving God good opportunities to use us? Are we giving God good opportunities to use us? What are you offering? I'm saying you a lot, but I want you to know that I'm totally speaking to myself. All right. So don't think, oh, it's Nick's having a go at me tonight. (coughs) Totally speaking to myself. Are you giving God opportunities to work through you? Or are you offering God an opportunity to, to in some way, redeem something bad from your life and make it good? Or are you saying, God, here I am, use me. God, here I am, send me. God, what is it you want from me? And it might be that had Samson said all of this stuff to God at some point, it might be that there would have been a different strategy for the way that he engaged with the Philistines. Who knows? But he didn't. And so God uses this, this petulance, God uses this disobedience to begin something happening here. What are you offering? Remember the story, one of my favorite stories. I meant to get it ready for the screen and uh, I ran out of time. But one of my favorite stories is, is the story of Jonathan and his alma bearer. Yeah, Jonathan says, hey, let's, let's go down into the valley while everybody else is in the camp. We'll go down into the valley... We'll shout up to the Philistines who are on the top of the, of the cliff. And we'll, in fact, we'll expose ourselves. We'll let them see us in the valley. And then if they say, come up to us, we'll say, great. That means God's going to give us the victory. It's absolutely bonkers. It is a rubbish strategy. If they see us and they mock us and they challenge us and tell us to climb up the cliff to fight them, that must mean that God's going to give us the victory. So Jonathan is bonkers. But the bonkers person in that story is not really Jonathan. The bonkers person is his armor bearer who says, do whatever you want. I'm with you. That's the bonkers person. Not the person who comes up with the crazy idea, but the person who supports the crazy idea and says, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Who knows? Maybe God will do something here. And so they step out into the valley, and obviously the Philistines see them and start to mock them because they're down at the bottom of the cliff and say, come up here, and we'll teach you a good lesson. It's my version. And so they say, yeah, God's given us the victory. So they climb up the cliff face, climb into the Philistine camp, and take them down. It's amazing. There's about 25 people who die, 20, 25 people who die, and then God does something in in the Philistine camp. But how did that all start? It didn't start by... Jonathan being disobedient, or the armor-bearer being disobedient, it started by Jonathan saying, God is our God, and he is in control, and he is more powerful than the Philistine army, so let's see what he can do. And he steps out in faith, and God uses him for a great victory. I don't know, maybe sometimes we, maybe sometimes we need to put ourselves in a bit of a risky place to give God an opportunity to take us to a new experience of him and it's very simple I remember I don't know who was talking to you to about this recently but I remember the first time that I stood in church and we were singing the first time I raised my hands in worship I remember because I was I was convinced that everyone was looking at me the truth is no one cares no one is looking at me no one is looking at anyone people generally looking forward but I was so convinced that everyone was looking at me. But I knew that I had to do it. I knew that it was the next thing that I had to do in my, in my experience of God and in my giving myself in total surrender to him. I knew that I needed to raise my hands in worship. And it was such a challenge. But I decided to do that risky thing. It doesn't seem like a big risky thing now. It's not a problem for me at all. But for some people, that kind of thing can seem a bit of a risky thing. Maybe we need to do risky things and give God opportunities to do something in us, to give us a new experience of him, to give him an opportunity to fulfill his purpose in us and to fulfill his purpose in our church and to fulfill his purpose in our town. Because you just don't know how you responding to God is going to affect the people around you. You don't know. And so Samson, in his disobedience, God redeems his disobedience in this moment to give him an occasion to confront the Philistines. So he goes down to Timnah with his mom and dad, and it says as they approach the vineyards, a young lion comes out and attacks him. But his mom and dad don't know about it. So this is typical son with parents. His parents are probably just walking ahead, and Samson's lagging in the back because he doesn't want to hang out with his mom and dad. I'm just assuming that's what happens. And then this lion attacks him. What does this have to do with anything? What does it have to do with the story? Nothing, the lion does not play a part in the story. The lion, why is the lion here? His mom and dad don't see it happen. It gives him an occasion to make up a ridiculous riddle later that we'll come to. Why is the lion here? I've been thinking about this. And I think, and this is just my idea, I think maybe the lion was God's kindness to Samson. Here's why I think the lion was God's kindness to Samson. We look at this story, and when we talked about it last week, we said, we recognized that Samson had the gift of supernatural strength. We talked about that, and we talked about it because you know I made the point that I didn't think Samson was particularly buff, particularly big, muscly guy, because that wasn't where his strength came from. His strength was supernaturally given to him. And uh, if the Bible wanted us to know what he looked like, as it does for some other characters, it would say so. But it doesn't say anything about Samson's stature. So my opinion, I think Samson just looked like an ordinary person. But when the Spirit of the Lord came on him, his gift was supernatural strength. We know that. Up until this point, does Samson know that? I don't know. The angel didn't say that he would have a gift of supernatural strength. His mom and dad didn't say that he would have a gift of supernatural strength. Does Samson know what his gift is up until this point? I don't know. Maybe he doesn't. And maybe this is just a moment for God to say, listen, later on, you're going to need this, so you need to see how it works. Maybe. Maybe it was an opportunity for him to use his gift of strength when he wasn't taking on a Philistine. Didn't seem like it at the time. A lion come running to you does not seem like God's kindness. Doesn't at all. But maybe it was. So here's my question. Are you noticing his kindness? Are you noticing his kindness? Samson, when he defeated this lion, didn't talk to his mom and dad about it. Maybe he was wrestling with, what does this mean? I just killed a lion with my... I just killed a lion with my bare hands. What does this mean? I don't really wanna explore it with anyone yet because I'm not quite sure what it means, but clearly there's a gift. When, When the spirit of the Lord came upon me, I was able to do this incredible thing. There's another guy in the Bible who talks about facing a lion, little guy. He has a conversation with a king once, and the king said, why should we let you fight for us? And he says, once upon a time, I was looking after my sheep, and the lion came, took the lion down. A bear came, and I took the bear down, and now here I am, about to face this huge giant. And I think so many times in our lives, God gives us these occasions where we have little glimpses of his kindness, little glimpses of what he can do in us so that when the next thing comes along, we have the remembrance of the thing that happens before and that acts as fuel for the next thing. And I love that, that I love that kindness. Maybe at the, at the time it happens it doesn't make any sense. I'm pretty sure Samson staring down the line was not thinking, well how does this relate to what's going to happen in my future, he was not thinking that at all, he was thinking I'm about to die. And then suddenly he realized that he could wrestle a lion and he could win. So it may not make sense when we have to face these these battles, these little things that happen. But maybe there are reinforcement in our lives for the bigger things that we have to face later on. And then we can look back and remember the day when God started to do something in us. I think about my own life and I think about the times where God has... uh, it's just shown kindness to me, and uh, I was thinking, I, was, I have a list lit, written down here, and I was thinking about which ones to talk about tonight. And, um, <clears throat> you know, the time that, that Lisa and I and Ethan and Caitlin decided to come to Warrington was a, a lot of prayer, a lot of trying to hear what God was going to say, and even after we made the decision that we were going to move, we sent the message to Lucas and Sarah saying that we put our house on the market. We still needed, there were still moments where we thought, is this the right thing? Are we doing the right thing, God? And we felt we were doing the right thing. But some, sometimes, and some days, you have those moments where you think, I don't, I don't, I just don't know. And so we had to have lots of conversations with people. We had a life group, and uh, we had to tell a life group that we were going to be moving. That's quite hard when you've been doing a journey with people for a long time. And uh, instead of... Instead of doing it in a live group where we just said it to everyone, which would have been horrendous, we decided that we would see everyone in the live group one to one and have a conversation with them. It took longer, but we felt it honored our relationships. So we did that. <clears throat> so we saw a couple called Alan Kay, and um, it was a funny conversation. So we explained that we were moving to Warrington, and Kay was like, Oh, this is great. And she was asking why, and she's if you ever met Kay, you'd understand. She's just happy about everything. And, um, and Al was completely silent. He's usually quite chatty. He was very silent. He was not a happy man. And His, his first question was, where even is Warrington? So I explained where Warrington was. So he gets his phone out, and he's looking for Warrington on, on Google Maps. And he said, what's the name of this church you're going to? He, he was a little bit aggressive. So he says It's called Life Church Warrington. So he Googles Life Church Warrington. <clears throat> and he finds the website, and then he goes quiet, like properly quiet. Quiet to the point where I say, are you okay, Al? And he says, what is this building? And he turns his phone around, and he shows the, the uh, Life Church's website at the time had this picture on as, as one of the pictures that went through, which is the town hall. He said, what is this building? Is this where the church meets? <laughs> he said, <laughs> that would be cool. I said, "No, well, this is not where the church meets. Um, this is the town hall in Warrington. Why? And he said, well, he said, a couple of nights ago in Life Group, he said, I had a picture in my head, and uh, I knew that it was either for you to talk to you about it or to talk to this other guy about it, and I couldn't decide who's this picture for. And he said, I thought about the picture, and I thought, this building looks quite American, and I know that this guy's thinking about going to America, Maybe it's confirmation for him. So he, t- he shared it with this other guy. And it was, it, it did help him because he has moved to America. And he said, but actually, this is the building that I saw. This is the building that I saw. And I knew I had to share it with you or with this guy. It was so encouraging to us. Just so encouraging that, that God would show him this and that we would have this conversation. And there would be this moment, and there were were absolutely masses of moments like that. Because God is kind to us. He is kind to us. And the thing is, we would see his kindness more if we just asked him to see his kindness more. If we just took some time to notice his kindness. The other thing that I notice in in um, in this piece of scripture is when the lion attacked Samson, he already had what he needed to defend himself. It was already in him. The gift of God, the spirit of the Lord anointing him, that was already something that was in him. Maybe what we need to face up to our circumstances and to face up to our enemy is already in us. You know, when Moses was debating with God about when God was calling him and Moses was having this argument, well, all the the reasons he could think of, God asks him, what's in your hand? And we spent some time looking at these questions at the beginning of the year. What's in your hand? Now, it's worth remembering, and whenever you're reading scripture, if you see God asking a question or Jesus asking a question, it's worth reminding yourself that God doesn't ask questions because he doesn't know the answer. He asks questions because he wants you to think about it and for you to figure out what the answer is. So God knew what was in Moses' hand. But Moses had to look at what was in his hand and to say out loud what was in his hand. And then God points out that the thing that he had in his hand, his staff, his identity, his authority, all of the things that his staff represented that those were the things that God was going to use. So what's in your hand? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Because of Jesus and through the knowledge of Jesus, you and I have everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need. He's in our hands. You know that old song, He's got the whole world in His hands. Well, we've got Him in our hands because everything we need is given to us through the knowledge of Him. Everything we need is given to us. And so, Samson has this encounter with this woman that he sees, this woman that he likes. He goes, he, on his way to meet her, on the way to set up the, the marriage, he's attacked by a lion. He kills the lion, leaves the lion's carcass there, moves on to the town of Timnah. They have this conversation. He likes her, and then they go back. Now, sometime later, he goes back to kind of finalize the whole marriage. And on the way back, he sees the lion's carcass and the swarm of bees and some honey. So he takes some honey, he eats it takes some, gives it to his parents, but he doesn't tell them where he got the honey from. Now, some commentators think he doesn't tell them because he's already thought of the riddle, and he doesn't want them to know what the riddle is or to give it away, so he doesn't tell them. I don't think that's it. I think he doesn't tell them because he knows that what he's done is unclean. He's taken honey from a carcass, and that would be considered unclean. And remember, one of the rules for Samson's vow was to not eat anything unclean. And so Samson, not only is Samson, this is how gracious God is, not only is Samson um, going to marry a Philistine woman, but now he's, he's broken part of his vow because he's eaten something that is unclean. Now we could argue it's not really, it's not a rotten carcass because bees wouldn't make a, a, a nest in, in something that was still fleshy. So it would have just been a skeleton. So we could argue, well, it's not really dead. It's well, it is dead, but it's been dead for a long time. But actually, the thing is, if you want to do the things that God says, you need to do the things that God says rather than trying to find how close you can go to the edge before you actually not doing the thing that God says. Yeah? It's that old story of a woman who lived on a cliff uh, that she had a a mansion on the top of this cliffside with a big windy road and she wanted someone to be her driver. And she interviews three drivers and the first driver was like, listen, I'm so good, I could drive around this, I could drift around these corners, but I still, you still wouldn't go over the edge of the cliff and me would be fine. And The second driver says, don't worry about that guy, I could drive right to the edge, I could have tires on the edge of the cliff and you would be safe. And The third driver says, listen, I'm not going anywhere near the edge of the cliff, I'm going to be on the other side of the road because I don't want to go near the edge of the cliff. Guess who gets the job? The person who's decided they want to stay away as far as away from the edge as possible. And when we get to, when we get to the point where we're starting to debate, well, how far is too far, and what can I get away with? And what can I do? And God would still be happy with me, we've missed the point of God's instructions. Samson takes this honey from a carcass and he eats it. And then they go and see, they go and see the 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 woman and her family. This is just a throwaway thought. I've got nothing else to say but this. It says in verse 11, when the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. Samson arrives. It's going to be a big wedding feast. It's going to last for seven days because that was the, the custom. And so they get 30 people to be Samson's companions for the duration of the wedding feast. Here's my question. Where are Samson's friends? Where are his friends? He's there on his own with his mom and dad, And he's surrounded by Philistines. Where are, did he have any friends? Did he invest in a community? Did he invest in relationships where he lived? Because he is in a different town, surrounded by different people, and he doesn't have anyone with him. Where are his friends? I could then say, Where are your friends? (laughs) But it's just a throwaway comment. So, Take, take of that what you will. And then Samson comes up with a riddle. And in my opinion, the riddle is, well, they had no chance of solving this riddle. Because whoever is going to think, oh, I wonder if on the way here, a lion attacked him, and he killed it with his bare hands, and then he left it, and then on his way here again, there was honey in it. It must be honey in a lion. That's 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 the answer to that how how are they ever gonna solve this they are never gonna solve this riddle which is why Samson is quite happy to say here's the riddle if you get it then I will give you each some clothes but if you don't get it then each of you has to give me clothes yeah Samson is very convinced that no one can solve this riddle he's very confident but he doesn't he doesn't um make account for how desperate they were to not look silly. And they were desperate because they say to his wife on the fourth day, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us or we will burn you and your father's household to death. I mean, it is, it is a strong threat. And these are her people. Yeah, bear in mind. These aren't strangers. These aren't people from a different nation. These are her people. They've said to her, if you don't find out the answer to this riddle, we will burn you and your father's household to death. So she reacts in the only way she could, really. Or is it the only way she could? This is my question. She goes to Samson, and she begs him to tell her the riddle. and He doesn't, and so she begs him, and she nags him for the whole time. I mean, it must have been a great wedding feast for seven days, you're looking forward to the end of the wedding feast because that's how it would happen. You'd feast and party for seven days and then the end of the seven days, that's when the marriage would be consummated. So Samson is enjoying the seven days of his wedding feast. He's not really because every day his wife is crying and begging him to tell him the answer her the answer to the riddle. So I don't think Samson was having a good time. Now, I can't talk too much about nagging wives because I don't, I don't have that as an experience. Thank you, Lord it's not my experience but the phrases that she uses are quite interesting verse 16 she says you hate me you don't really love me those are quite strong phrases to use and quite manipulative phrases to use because how how do you counteract that if you if you want to prove the point well i do I do love you. I don't hate you. But the only way, the only way to satisfy that um, statement is to actually do what the other person is asking because they're attaching this to it. And so Samson is in a bit of a quandary. He says to her, listen, I'm, my mom and dad don't even know the answer to this riddle. I've not even talked to them. So why would I tell you? But He eventually tells her the riddle. She passes it on to the men of the town and, uh, and they come back smugly with the answer. So smug. I mean, what's stronger than a lion? <laughs> and what's sweeter than honey? I know there's no tone in the voice, but that's, that's the tone I get when I read it. Yeah, Quite a smug response to Samson's riddle. And then Samson says a horrible phrase. He says, if you had not plowed with my heifer. I mean, it's not a great way to be talking about the woman you're going to spend the rest of your life with. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you, have not, you would not have solved my riddle. And then... The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he goes down to Ashkelon, which interestingly is about 25 miles away. So he doesn't go to the next village, and he didn't have a car, so this is quite a journey. He takes a journey, he gets to Ashkelon, and he kills 30 men in this town. Now, I've been reading and thinking about this, I don't know what happened here, because there is no, I don't want to give you any spoilers for next week, but there's no, there's no kind of recompense for this, it's never mentioned again. So whether he was really ninja-like, and no one ever noticed that these 30 people had disappeared, and that Samson had done it, or whether it was so far away that the information didn't come back to, to these people, I don't know, but there, this incident is never referred to again. Samson kills 30 of their own people, strips them of everything, and then takes their clothes back. So imagine thinking you've won a riddle, and then you get some clothes, and they're warm. Ew. It's not good, is it? Probably wouldn't have been warm by the time Samson got back. And Samson, um, Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who attended him at the feast. So... The situation is going from bad to worse He's marrying a philistine woman shouldn't really happen He's eaten some honey from a lion's carcass shouldn't really touch the dead thing or eaten anything. That was unclean Uh, He's had seven seven days of continual nagging and crying from his wife Then he realizes that uh, these guys have figured out his his riddles He has to go and find clothes to give them and then He walks off in a huff basically what he does and because he leaves his father-in-law is, I imagine, is embarrassed by this whole thing. And, and, you know, there's a wedding that's happened, but I still have a daughter. What's, what am I going to do? And so his father-in-law gives his wife to the best man. I mean, the drama continues, yeah? Can you imagine the drama continues? Like an episode of EastEnders. Enders. It's like Middle East Enders. Just came up with that. I'm proud of myself. Middle East Enders. I think we should just close in prayer now. (laughs) It's not going to get any better than that. It is an episode of Middle East Enders. Just a couple of things things to pull us in. I just want to point out two things, really. The first one is a bit of a random one, but it it challenges me because it challenges my behavior. Uh, Verse 10, it says, Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast as was customary for young men. Samson did a little festival thing, a little feast, a little party for the young men because it was the custom of the time. So even though he was set apart as a Nazarite, remember he was set apart at birth from a Nazarite, he's never cut his hair, he's got all these rules that he has to follow, and it seems like he's quite lax with some of them, to be fair, he still got involved in the customs of the day, bearing in mind that they weren't sinful customs. Yep. And the challenge is, being set apart we are called to be set apart but it doesn't mean that we're cut off from life it doesn't mean that we take ourselves away from society and take ourselves away from conversations and take ourselves away from from living where we are because that's not how people will hear about jesus um rick warren has a great idea and uh you know, when I, go, when, I go to, when I go to St. Ives, or when I go to any seaside place, and I have fish and chips, I'm sure we've talked about this before, Lisa definitely loves vinegar more than she loves fish or chips. So sometimes I offer to just say, Do you just want a bottle of vinegar, because maybe that will satisfy you more. Um, but when I get the fish, lovely crispy batter, I don't eat it all, because after a while I get bored of batter, I like the fish, the meat of the fish. What do I do? Put salt on it, because it needs a bit of salt. But here's the fascinating thing. This fish has been swimming in salty water its whole life. But when I'm eating it, I have to add salt to it, because it doesn't taste salty. Because the fish is in the sea, but the sea doesn't affect it. It is insulated from the sea. And Rick Warren has this idea that As Christians, we are supposed to be insulated from the world, not isolated from the world. Insulated from the world, not isolated from the world. Because how else will our society know who God is? How else will our society see Jesus living in us? If we are isolated somewhere, taking ourselves away in our little holy huddle, having a good time together, if we are away from the people, how else will they know who God is? so we live lives of insulation, not of isolation. The final thing. Samson leaves at the end of this passage on a, on a cliffhanger. Don't read, don't read the chapter. Don't read on to see what happens. Don't spoil it for yourselves before next week. But he leaves... Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who attended him at the feast, and that's the end of that chapter. That's the end of the, it feels like it's the end of that little bit of story. Why does this happen? Well, I think it happens because of Samson's attitude, because of the sentence before. Sentence before says this, burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. Now, he probably should have gone, he's just got married, he should have gone to be with his wife. He just spent seven days at a wedding feast. That's where he should have gone. That was his priority. He should have gone to be with his wife. But burning with anger, he makes the wrong choice. And he goes to his father's home. And when he goes to his father's home, his father-in-law is embarrassed and gives his wife away to the best man. Because, of course, women in those days did not have a choice. Well, I don't want, this is not what I want. No choices at all. That's a, that's a talk for a different day. But Samson was burning with anger. And when we allow ourselves to get to a place where our emotions control our decisions, generally, we will not make good decisions. Generally, we will not make good decisions. It's Samson's decision to return to his father's home instead of going back to his wife kicked this whole, a whole spiral off that we'll see when we get to next week's session. So, just to recap, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? What are you allowing to come before your eyes? What are you allowing to feed your soul? The Bible says the windows are the the eyes are the windows to the soul. What are you allowing to get to your soul? Maybe it's maybe it's time that we took a little bit of time to think about what we're allowing in front of our eyes. What are you offering? Are you giving God good opportunities to use you? Are you giving God good opportunities to take you to a new experience of him? To take you to a new understanding of him? Or are you living in such a way that that God would have to reach in and redeem something you have done in order to take you to where you need to go to? Are you noticing his kindness? What are you looking at? Are you noticing his kindness? Lord, give us eyes to see what you were doing in our lives and in the lives of other people. What's in your hand? What has God already given you for the battles that you are facing at the moment? And how are you living? Are you insulated or are you isolated? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this man, this narrative. Lord, you You must have felt it was important for us. You put four chapters of his life in your word. And uh, Lord, we, we see a man who is physically strong but morally weak. And God, we pray that you will help us to have the right attitude and the right response to you. Lord, that whatever it is you ask of us, that we will have that That sense of coming to you on a regular basis to say, what is it you want from me, Lord? What is it you want from me, Lord? How can I best honor you, Lord? I pray that you will help us to see what you are doing in us. And also help us to see what you are doing in other people. That we will notice not just your kindness to us and be obsessed with what you are doing in us. But notice your kindness in others so that we can see what you are doing in our friends, in our community, in our church, in our nation that we would be encouraged by what you are doing in your body. Give us eyes to see the things that we need to and help us, Jesus, to deal with things like our emotions in such a way that we respond appropriately and our lives bring honor to you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.